This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, you know, again, great, great to have all of you here today. What a nice crowd for, for a time of year that, you know, when a lot of people are away. So great to see all of you here today. Special, extra warm welcome to our first-time attendees. And I want to start with a, with a little story about what I think the journey of faith is all about. Because it's kind of, Easter's really, I mean, it was the holiday for Christians. Much more important than Christmas, actually. And, and this kind of story uses a different religious tradition. Uh, you know, I went up to the Poconos yesterday, and I'm listening to an interview. And it's an interview where this, where this woman doctor was talking about working with Tibetan monks. And she was trying to figure out, like, how do these guys, like, work the meditation, prayer, spirituality thing? So what she does is she gets these EKGs, and she starts sticking them on their heads, and they start laughing. And she asked them, you know, why are you laughing? And she said, oh, well, it actually, the EKG should go here. Is that good? You know, it should go here. And that's what I think faith should go about. We get into a lot of crazy arguments about faith. Jenny's here sitting with a, with a white and gold dress, and some of you are thinking, no, it's black and blue. Some of you got that joke. Uh, you, you know, and, and like that, we get into those kind no, it's here. It's here. It's here. So much of us walk around life blind. Blind. Unable to see the, the wonderful world that's around us. And oftentimes technology doesn't help with that. So how can we start to maybe see differently, maybe plug in here in a way that will actually start to bring us life in very different ways? So what we're going to do with this, with this Easter series is, is today's kind of the 10,000 foot view. And then each week we're going to pull it in closer and closer and closer. And today what I want to tell you is a story about this man. First known as Saul in the Bible, then known as Paul. Now, again, we have first-time attendees here, and I know we got a lot of people like, ah, I'm just not Christian, not even sure about it. Totally fine. You're just going to hear a good story about human healing and connection. And maybe possibly see where there's room for God in this equation. Because we need to understand, I think with religion, we see this over and over again. That religion can both bring out the worst of us and the best of us. And this is really a story about those two things. Now, this story about this man named Saul. Saul lived, he, he lived a couple of decades after Christ had died. So, so he had Christ die, most, most uh, historians think around, around, you know, 32, 33 AD. And, and, and then a few decades later, Saul starts to get involved. Now, Saul was this deep religious authority in Israel at that time. And this guy was so bright that when it talks about him in the Bible, they even said he was taught by blah, 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 which was sort of the, you know, when you drop the name of your teacher, it was like name dropping today. Like I was taught by Stephen Hawkins. It's kind of that kind of thing. So this was an extremely bright man, deeply, deeply righteous. But as Mark Twain would say, he was religious in the worst meaning of that word. That, that, that he missed he was plugged in up here. He was not plugged in down here. And he makes a very inauspicious entry into the Bible story, into the biblical narrative with this story right here. And again, it's, it's one that's a very tragic story. 
At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. So Stephen was a member of what was called the way. Can we all say the way together? The the way. It wasn't called Christianity at that time. It was called the way, which is beautiful. It's beautiful. Because this was a lifestyle of love and humility. Listen to these two words. It was a lifestyle of generosity and simplicity. But that threatened a lot of the powers that could be. And Stephen was going around with this message and healing. And, and, and Saul looks at that and he goes, oh, that's totally wrong. He's preaching, he's preaching heresy. So what you did with a heretic is you pulled him outside of town and, and you stoned them. Now, now, folks, again, it's just so fascinating looking at these stories in this era of ISIS. In this era where Christians and, and many different Muslim sects are getting pulled out and, and killed for no reason than their particular belief. It's not an act of self-defense on the part of ISIS. It's an act of cruelty. It's an act of religion actually at its worst. Now coming back to the story, meanwhile the witnesses laid their coats of the, at the feet of a young man named Saul. So, ugh, you know, like, this is kind of gross. You know, here's this guy, and, and so that people could throw stones better, you know, he was holding their jackets. Not a good man. Not a good way to start your religious journey. And I'd like to say it gets better, but guess what? It doesn't. The story goes on. And Saul approved of their killing. So, so Saul, like, he, he gave his tacit approval to all this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to, we're going to have you actually say the D word there, but Saul began to destroy, destroy, destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And you know, the, the inevitable outcome of that was, was death. I mean, this is the era of what, what in Christianity is called the, the era of the martyrs. So we see in here, we see this movement away from from Saul just sort of like giving his approval to him actually being actively involved, actively involved in persecuting Christians. And again, like if, you, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, religion's not for me because I'm such a bad guy or a bad woman or I've done this or I've done that, you got to read this story. None of in, you in here is as bad as this guy. Not one. Even your 14-year-old son. Not close. And yet even we're going to see how, how Christ even can use this. But we need to be able to look at a very uncomfortable question. And we need to be able to sort of talk about this. And that's this question here. Why does religion often give way to violence? Why does religion often give way to violence? Now, it's easy, again, to say, well, Islam is violent or this is violent. You know, we're pegging on the religion. But, but I tell you, all faiths across the board seem to go off the rails on occasion and become deeply violent. You know, even in our history, the Ku Klux Klan was a Christian organization. They were extremely violent. Same with ISIS, same with these other groups. 
what I'd ask you to do is to think about this question. Why does religion often give way to violence? You may text me in an answer, or you may share it with someone around you. So please take a minute to consider that question and shoot me an answer. Go ahead. I just have to say, you know, one of the most amazing things about this congregation is you folks are so much smarter than me. And I look at these answers, and boy, you folks really get it in a, in a deep way, which is just amazing. Let a few more come in here. And, and, and I think this is a really important question to, to ask, because I hear a lot of people who they struggle with faith, and this is why they struggle with it. They look at religion, and they think ISIS, and think, well, why would I want to be a part of that? And to that, I would say, yes, <laughs> I agree fully that who would want to be a part of that? But maybe there's a way where we can answer this question and start to see it and start to look at it and maybe start to answer that, you know, the, the broader question of, yes, you know, religion can give way to violence, but it can also do this. It can also give way to healing. And why is that? So let's take a look at some of these. Uh, the belief, oh, this is good. See, you guys should be, all be on the sermon writing team. You got that singing? All of you should be on the sermon writing team. The belief in guilt creates the belief in punishment. Maybe it's because of man's inability to accept difference. Ego always takes, looks to make it a us versus them because the violent person's faith is not strong enough, so they use violence to make it strong. Fear, we envy what others, others have because it's religion in name only. That is excellent. Uh, this one here is from out in New Jersey. Confusion between love of self and love of God. Fear of judgment. Plugging into the mind instead of the heart, it becomes a point of view, excellent, like a, like a point of a spear. Dominance in any form, being right, leads to violence. Not taking responsibility for, for their actions, instead using religion. Because the hells want to destroy true faith. That's really good. Because they think they are right in doing it for God, and that whole rightness thing. Because people want you to believe uh, their beliefs. It's a form of passion. It is sort of an un, unregulated passion. Gives way to violence because the heart's intention of life is often neglected. Evil replaces good. To fill the void created by a lack of faith because truth is not harmonizing with love. Excellent. Because of the assumption that everyone must believe or practice as I do. Control. It's misinterpreted because people are always going to disagree on things. Fear of the unknown. Those are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful answers. How would I answer that? You know, why does religion sometimes give way to this? You folks nailed it. Why does religion sometimes give way to violence? Ready for this? Because we do. That simple. Because we do. We all have an ego, a fallen part of us. It's not the good self. It's the false self. It's the shadow. Whatever name you want to call it, it's the ick. When you've lost your cool and you have to apologize to your spouse and you said, honey, I don't know what came over me. I just didn't feel like myself when I said, that's that, that's that thing. Whatever, however you define that thing, fear, anger, jealousy, revenge, freneticism, lust, compulsion, all that stuff, all that garbage. And see, religion can, can become part of that. And that becomes like where, where religion gets to be really challenging because what, we, what can happen is we can put the patina on it of God says for us to do this. And once we do that, boy, it's so hard to get at the ego, to get at the false self because responsibility is now parked over there with God, no longer with us. 
And yet God is constantly, constantly, constantly calling us to something different, calling us to something more. Just as he did with Saul, who was soon to become named Paul. Now what happens is Saul is riding his horse through modern day Syria, which is kind of interesting in and of itself, right? Syria, and we're talking about ISIS. Riding his horse through modern day Syria, all of a sudden he sees a flash of light and then the voice of God comes down with these words. Saul, Saul, why do you, please say the M word really loud. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it's fascinating, right? Because, because like, look at, look at this, folks. That me part's really important. Saul had never gone after God. Saul was always about serving his view of God. But what, what God is saying here, look, you know, you're killing people. You're hurting people. You're destroying people's lives. That is attacking me. See that? You know, New Church, we believe love of other people, love of God, it's one and the same. Persecution of other people, violence directed towards other people is violence or persecution directed towards God. It's one and the same. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want you to think and listen carefully to how he answered these words. Why do you persecute me? And what he said was this, Paul's answer. He doesn't try to excuse it. He says, who are you? Could we say that together? Who are you? You sit for a minute with that, all right? Who are you? He didn't know this God. He's like, who are you? Where did, where did this come from? Because it was, it was a view of God that was so counter to what he saw. It's a God that for him was completely unknown, unknowable. Who are you? Who are you? And what God answers is beautiful. He answers yes with some words. But more important, he answers this way. He answers with healing, with transformation, with taking somebody who's as low as you can get and using them as a vehicle of service and compassion out into this world. A ringing answer to who are you? Uh, Great, again, to, to, to think about this, you know, and you think about that song, Where Have I Been? And you think about the song that was coming alive in Saul's heart at this time. A plugging in very differently where, where all this computing about the way the world was supposed to work and, and in this re-kind of configuring and this, this putting EKG onto a very different thing, a very different measure. And he comes through that. I mean, the story goes on to say this, you know, that he was for three days, three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. Anytime you hear three days in the Bible, and this is after the Easter story, that's significant. That's significant. Now, again, I know we got a bunch of people here who are first-time attendees, and you know, it's not like you're going home and cracking the Bible every night. Get it. I don't either. But it's, 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 it's an important piece to understand, you know, with, 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 these, with these three days. These three days here are, are a reference to Easter. Good Friday, Saturday, Easter Sunday. You know, three days. 
What in the Bible Christ said is that this is how you'll know. It'll be the sign of Jonah. It won't be immediate. It'll have parts of it that are truly a struggle. But there is resurrection at the end of those three days. I want to read for you a story here from the Bible. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful story, where, where, where you'll see like how this healing starts to take place. This is about a man who has a vision, and his vision was to go into Syria, find this guy, and be part of his healing. Now, now again, folks, going to Syria, don't lose track of this persecution. I mean, just imagine I told you, I've got an idea for you. Why don't you go to Syria and convert a few people? Probably not a lot of you would sign up for that list. And yet this is a vision of somebody who actually did that. A vision that they were given by God. So listen to this story. And I'm going to offer some commentary as we go through it. This is from Acts chapter 9. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And you can even go and see this, this street to this day. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias. And Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about the man and all the harm he has done to your saints. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest and who call on your name. Now it's interesting with Ananias there. It's him going essentially to God like, you gotta be kidding me. Really? Did you know what this guy's done? Do you know that you're asking me to put my life on the line for a guy who's actually persecuted and killed Christians, including one of the, one, one of, one of the preeminent leaders, Stephen? Really interesting that that call is there. And, and, and listen to what God does with that call. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. And Gentiles were people who weren't part of any church at that time. And their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him much. He must suffer for my name. And then look at this last line here. A beautiful, beautiful last line. Then placing his hands, he goes. And then placing his hands, Ananias' hands on Saul. He said, and please say these words loud. Saul, he said, Brother Saul, brother Saul. I mean, folks, just, just picture this, right? Like, this is a man laying in a bed, blinded, has not eaten or had anything to drink in three days, totally, like, up against it. And he has hands, yes, he has hands, and he has literal blood on his hands, from persecuting other Christians. The very worst of religion. And along comes this, the very best of religion. The very best of faith and spirituality and healing and obeying God's vision and mission for us into the world. And think of the hands. You know, and again, like I don't know whether he literally had blood on his hands or not, but, but again, like imagine walking into that room for Ananias, and, and literally like, like putting your hands on him. Not hands like this, which would be so tempting, right? But hands like this. Just, just I'm going to like detour a little bit here. 
Just close your eyes for a second. Hold in your mind for a minute that horrible you, that, that thing that you've done over the last week, month, 10 years, whatever it is, that, that thing that just is like, oh, that thing that even if I asked you to, you wouldn't tell me. And just feel for a minute, God's hands through Ananias, putting his hands right on your head and calling you brother or calling you sister. It's powerful. You can picture this, this, this tough guy, Paul or Saul, and, and what I can imagine at, at that point was, was him just bursting into tears. You know, what that must have been like as he went through and he healed. And this is how the story keeps going as we look at that quote. He places his hands calls him brother Saul and then he says the Lord has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and seeing there it's 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 much brighter form of seeing it's a much greater form of seeing I think than, than what we can imagine and, and and you just imagine folks like like everything that was being taught, Ananias was teaching Saul about God at that moment. Remember the, the, the question where Saul had asked, like, like he said, well, who are you? He's answering to God's voice. And here is God answering, God answering as he does, calling us to serve us through us. Like it's not about waiting to just have this magical connection with God. You, you are the connection with God. You're it. And he's placed you with your hands, literal and figurative, into the worlds that you are to heal. Many of you probably are like, I don't get how to do that. I don't think Ananias did either, but he just started doing it. And was part of healing. Part of bringing somebody back to life. And, and think about what this says. You know, these, these two visions of religion, one the worst of, one the best of, where do we see a new definition of power there? Where do we see a new definition of humility? Where do we see a new definition of forgiveness? Where do we see a new definition of rightness? You can just imagine. I mean, just put yourself there, folks. You can just imagine Saul, like, totally, like, this blew his mind. He would never see the world the same again because of what happened here. What goes on to occur is that he actually ends up getting baptized. And... Uh, it's a beautiful part. I think it's getting to this piece of new church theology here where it's, where it's this warning as well as this promise about what faith can be. People who use the terms faith and mean only spiritual facts disconnected from loving others have the wrong idea. Again, they're plugged in up here. They're not plugged in here. Sometimes the most knowledgeable people are the, say the W word here, sometimes the most knowledgeable people are the worst, are the worst ones. Knowledge is not faith. Faith is acknowledgement. 
a work God alone, God alone accomplishes in us through charity, through service towards other people, through reaching out, caring about our families, our small groups, broader communities. Never a matter, I'm going to have you say the last L word there, never a matter of lip service, but of, but of life, a beautiful peace. And you can imagine, like, again, like what baptism would have meant for Saul. And no wonder he changed his name, right? <laughs> you know, that would be such a revolutionary experience. All your, all your thoughts about religion, all your judgments about Christians would have been gone. And you would have arisen from that bed a brand new person. And he symbolized that with baptism. Now, with this 10,000-foot view, I want to put an invitation out there to you, to you, to each of you. Christianity, again, Easter was considered the holiday. And one of the ways that they closed Easter, that they, they celebrated the resurrection that Sunday, was through the sacrament of baptism. Now, in the new church, if I was to put it really simply, baptism is about a starting point. It's not a finish line where it's all said and done. Great, I got you saved. That's not it. That's not our view of Christianity. Our view of Christianity is one where where you can get baptized. And baptism is about sort of coming to a mile marker on the road and going, I'm ready to go to that next level of commitment. To step up just a little bit more. And we've had small, we've had little children do it. We've had families do it. We've had middle-aged kids do it. However that works for you, if it calls to you, And I want to be clear, like, you're welcome to come to New Church Live and not be baptized. You're welcome to come to New Church Live and never be baptized. This is about an individual call for you where you feel God calling into your heart to do that, that sort of that next step, that next thing. But that commitment, folks, that it symbolizes is a beautiful thing. See, see that that commitment, I mean, we, we live in an age where it's really hard to even say the word commitment to people. Because we're so much into kind of a, a, a consumer kind of view of things that we, we just like to pick and choose what we like to pick and choose. And we sort of get committed to our personal likes and dislikes. And baptism is a step that has parts of that, obviously. Like, I hope you like the music at New Church Live and da-da-da. You know, it has like likes and dislikes. But, but it also has this, this sort of this, uh, this third dimension of commitment that I am kind of ready to take my journey one step more. And you can get baptized. Some people do it uh, all over the place. Last year, we had seven people who chose to do it on Easter. Wonderful way to celebrate Easter, if that calls to you. Now, I was trying to think, like, well, what could I, what could I share with you? What kind of video could I share with you that could, could show you maybe what that commitment looks like? And what I did was I picked a video on ducks. All right? So take a look at this video. I find that such a, such a sweet video. And, and you know, and I, and I think about like, a, I would imagine for a lot of, I mean, we're all sort of first-time attendees here at, in the not-too-distant past at the very least. And, you know, that first time coming to church and it's like, not going in that water, Right? And then you just scramble out as quick as you can. And I get that. Like, that is so much our journey of life, all of our journeys of life. But wow, does it finally get to feel good. 
where we realize this different reality. Whereas for Paul slash Saul, where the scales fall off and where we go, wow, I'm a duck. You know, that you start to understand where, how you were actually programmed to live. That you were created, listen carefully. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful lines in all of scripture, that you were created in God's very image and likeness. Created in God's very image and likeness. And we can get distracted. We, we, can, we can fall away from it. Even that falling away is part of the journey. And no matter how much you've fallen, just like Paul, you know, I, I think God's saying, like, look, I, I'll even use that. No problem. In fact, maybe the further you've fallen, the better instrument you'll be. I don't know, maybe. But see, that is a beautiful part to start to understand about God and the way life can work. And then we can really see this series and what it means. The title of this series is this. This is just the beginning. Good stuff. I'd ask you now to please join me in prayer. I actually feel in today we, we're going to end up uh, on a really up number. So I'd ask us to stand up for the last prayer. Just to get you kind of in the, in the spirit for as we, as we sing our way out of church here. So please join me in prayer. I'm going to say a prayer. Then you have an opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it. Or to have a moment of quiet reflection. Dear Lord. Here we gather. And in this congregation, Lord, we we represent the blessed breadth of humanity. Some of us here with great joy, some of us with great pain, some of us with certainty, some of us with doubt, some of us unsure where we sit and where we fit. And Lord, we know this. You're there in all of it. Holding us gently. Stirring in our hearts love and life and compassion. Helping us to find joy, Lord. Helping us to find that great joy and courage in our hearts. Helping us to find peace. And through that peace, to find this, happiness. How to be happy truly happy, not a happiness that's based on being right or a happiness that's based on some view of religion where we get to punish others, but a happiness centered on healing, on hands, on connection, on love, on a new way of being in this world. Thank you, Lord, for being with us on that journey. Be with us this whole Easter. Let those words ring in our ears. This, this is just the beginning.
Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.